So uh, I'm extremely nervous, so you're just going to have to wait a few minutes till that dies down, and then we'll, we'll get in a stream. Uh, one correction, I, I never tell army stories to, 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 uh, to, to uh, all of our, our, my army brothers, uh, Hua, but I, I was never a soldier. I, I served in the United States Marine Corps, so that's a big difference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, hey, it's, it's, it's um, I'll give you a disclaimer. It might get really messy up here tonight because God has been jacking me up since I, I, I drove up here. Uh, we had 18-hour drive from uh, East Los Angeles with the Dirty Dozen that are sitting somewhere over here with us. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we, um, and so I, I drove those 18 hours um, and, you know, just popping in worship CDs and God was just like, jacking me up all the way up here. So it's, it's continued. Um, God has been doing something so sweet uh, in this place with us, um, through us, through this amazing team. Um, Ty, thanks for the privilege. It's, it's uh, one of the privileges of my life to be able to serve on this team, uh, to serve Jesus in this way. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty significant. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an East LA kid. Uh, some of you know my story. So it's, it's, it's a big deal, so uh, I have God to give glory, um, so you guys are going to have to bear with all of this as it, as it gets uh, um, pretty uh, emotional. It's not emotionalism I want to present, but anytime I think about what God has done for me, it's, it's a serious deal, and if we ever get beyond that, I think it's, it's, we find ourselves in an unhealthy place, because how can we get beyond knowing what he has accomplished for us? How can we get beyond knowing what he wants to accomplish for, for so many others outside of this place? Um, tonight I want to talk about reclaiming the lost, reclaiming everything that was stolen. You see, sometimes we think about, you know, we, we, we read the parables of the lost coin, we read the parables of the lost sheep, and, and those are valued, but I'm telling you there's a difference between something being lost and something being stolen. And we know that the enemy is a thief, and he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And, and we as a church have to understand that as, as we are being put on this mission to, yeah, like Steve, they got it backwards, to make Jesus known. Oh, they, they straightened it out, Steve. Nice. <laughs> to, to make Jesus known, this isn't an optional thing for us. How can it be? Somebody once said that the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for its non-members. But it's amazing how somehow the bride has become so consumed with herself. I'm sure that this, this first world nation bridal thing is crazy. You, ever, those, you see those bridezilla shows on TV where, they, I mean, these brides are crazy. It's all about them. You know, they're just, yeah, they're just animals. When you, I'm sorry. You, you, you see the TV shows, right? Because they're consumed with themselves. They're in love with, with what's happening. And I'm, at some level, we as a church have fallen in love with what we're doing. And we stop being in love with this precious Savior, this glorious King, this great commander who has given us orders to make him known. You know, I, I, um, I have a brother who's, who's serving a life sentence in prison. He's my older brother. He's been in prison for 25 years. 
That, and that's emotional, so that's, you're going to have to bear with me. <laughs> he committed a violent crime at the age of 18, was arrested, and serving a life sentence. He, uh, a few months back, he wrote us letters, and he asked us to, to write letters, um, character letters for him, because this year is going to be his first opportunity for parole. And as his brother for 25 years, I've longed for the day to see him again outside of walls, outside of a prison. Not have to see him behind glass or, or in this jumpsuit. I've longed to see him free. And in my heart, there isn't anything I wouldn't do to see him free. There isn't anything. There there's, isn't any amount of money I wouldn't give. I, I'm sure if I talked to Vanessa and asked her, can we sell everything we own so that my brother could be free, could we do it? And my wife would say, absolutely, because that's just how she is. But my brother asked us to write these character letters. And in the busyness of my life, I'm traveling in, up in Canada, and I get this call about... Those letters are due. And I miss the due date. And this, this sense of guilt just fell on me. You know, it's just, it, it was a letter. I mean, in my heart, I would do anything. But just a letter? And I, and I know that we're not guilty as a church of not wanting to see the lost free. I know there's not any amount of money that our churches aren't willing to invest to see the lost come in. I mean, our budgets are going to outreaches and programs to see people come in. We're doing these amazing things in the life of our churches to find the lost and set, the, set them free. There's, I, I know that that's what we want to dump. There's practical things that God has asked us to do that we're missing. He's asked us to be witnesses. He's asked us to be on mission. Uh, Russ gave us some clarity on that. While you're going, be a witness. And we miss it. I got home from Canada. I, I wrote the letters and sent them to wherever they needed to go, even though it was past the due date. And by the grace of God, they were received. So I'm, I'm pretty relieved and I think in the sense of that, we can't think that we've missed it. Sometimes we think we've missed the opportunity. We've missed that, that perfect timing. We've missed, I'm telling you, it is never the perfect time. The time is now. There has to be an urgency for you and I to see the law set free. We need to reclaim what has been stolen from the Father. Are you with me? I'm going to read this out of John chapter 17. It says, Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh to all who, him, all who you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, and he may give eternal life. This, I'm sorry, this is eternal life, may, may know you. The only true God 
And Jesus Christ, whom you sent, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. From the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, do not, a- do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet... They themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word, is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may sanctify in truth. And I'm telling you, this is something that I've been experiencing this whole week of understanding that as we know Jesus, we are in God. And God is in us. And this thing of sanctification, this thing of us coming together and and this unity that we are experiencing with Jesus, the Son, who experienced it with the Father, is being extended to us. And then in verse 20, there's a a further extension that takes place. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I know that's a long portion of scripture, but I think sometimes we just need to wash ourselves with it. It was only a three-minute read, so it wasn't too much. I didn't take up too much time yet. I'm convinced that we need to get back to this truth of evangelism in the lives of our churches. We, we, we are cultivating these, these, these cultures that we, we are so excited about that, that do so many things, but I'm telling you, the culture of evangelism is being lost in the church today. And, and I don't think it's not for the, the lack of, of corporate effort. I think it's, it's, it's me. Or maybe you, who are, are losing this this thing of I need to cultivate a life of evangelism in my life. I'm responsible for cultivating my own life to be prepared and positioned to be used for God at, every to- at any time in my life. Paul talked about that. 
He talked about sometimes we don't know what we're doing. We just learn to position ourselves. And we may not know what we're doing. We may not be eloquent speakers, as, as I am not, as you can hear. But just like Jesus chose 12 ordinary, unlearned men, he has chosen us to continue on this mission of retaking that which was stolen, reclaiming that which was lost. Are you with me? Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it reads like this. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who? Whoever. Whoever. Anyone. Anyone on this planet. That people group that we don't like. Those people. Anyone on this planet. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good good news of good things. We've been given this word. We've been called to be a witness. And I think sometimes we get caught up with this great commission and even in this text with this word preach. I'm not a preacher, you might feel. You know, I don't, I don't have the gift to stand up there and, and give, give this, you know, eloquent speech and, and communicate at, at, a, at a, you know, in, with an intelligent backing or education. You might feel like that. But I love how Peter describes this in 1 Peter chapter 3. I mean, Peter was a preacher, when we see what happened at Pentecost, I mean, we just see the life of Peter. And th- th- this man came a long way. And in First, first Peter, uh, it, was, it was written, you know, maybe 67 AD, something like that. And so it was, you know, 30 years into his ministry. And so he had learned some things. This is crazy Peter, right? You guys know who Peter was, right? This is the Peter who pulled out swords and cut off people's ears. Peter, Peter who got rebuked by Jesus because he was refusing to let Jesus go to the cross. That was a Paul move. Um, <laughs> yes. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13, it reads like this. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Romans said, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Who's there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? I think so many times fear grips us when it comes to this thing of evangelism and communicating the truth of the gospel. It grips us. First, the first thing that started this equip, TK came up here and we addressed fear. And I think so many times fear has gripped the church and it's, and it's hindered us from communicating the truth of what Jesus has done for our lives. Revelation tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. See, the word of our testimony means our, what we've witnessed. When someone's called to the stand to give their testimony, they have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Their testimony is to give an account of what they have seen with their eyes. What have you seen with your eyes? 
What has God done in your life? What truth can you communicate to this world around you that will lead people to know this Jesus that we have been raving about all week long? Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. So we didn't get out of it. I mean, first world persecution is nothing compared to what's happening around the world today. I'm telling you, we get into an argument on Facebook and we just delete everyone. We were just... That's our persecution today. We get defriended. (laughs) But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, this truth was real in this time when Peter scripted this text because Nero was already starting to burn Christians and crucify them. But even if we should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation. Look at your neighbor and tell them, do not fear. I mean, really, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? When we look at the fear factor versus the eternal ramifications that Terry spoke about. Eternal separation from our loving Father. Eternal separation. When we look at the difference between the fear factor and their eternity, is there even a question? Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This brings us back to how we know him. Because if Christ is Lord of our hearts, then how can we not rave about what he has accomplished for us? If he is seated on the heart of I mean, the throne of our hearts, then how can we not be a witness? How, how could we be, have a fear factor? When we see messengers sent from a king in, in, in old times, some of those messages had death ramifications for that messenger. If it was an act of war that was going to be presented with the, the, the scroll that had that seal from that king, and that king cracked the seal and read and didn't like it, that messenger's life was on the line. That guy had to be clear in his heart that he was doing this for his king. And it was an honorable thing to do. To die for your king. And some of us aren't willing to lose a friendship, get in an argument, not be invited to the Christmas party next year. Sanctify Christ as your Lord in your heart. Always be ready. Say always. Always Always be ready. To make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to give an account to anyone who asks you. Who? 
Anyone. I can't tell you how many times I've missed it. Sometimes those questions don't really come like, hey, can you give me the reason for the hope that is inside of you? (laughs) Sometimes it's this. There's something different about about your family, man. What's up with that? That's right. Sometimes it's, hey, what do you do, man? Hey, I notice you can't, you can't ever come to, like, soccer practice on Wednesday nights. Like, what's going on with that? Always be ready to give a reason, anyone who asks, for the hope that is inside of you. And then it says this, yet with gentleness and reverence. Something that's been communicated already. We need to speak to people about what we are for, not about what we're against. And it's amazing how we put so many walls wrapped around this this gospel message. On the streets of Los Angeles, there's people, evangelists, if you want to call it that, on the corners with signs. Repent or go to hell. I thought, I thought this was good news. How is it that we, represent, we present the bad news first? How is it that we, we, we're, 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 we're trying to fear monger people into this kingdom when it's a love message? Do it with gentleness and with reverence. And what what I understand about reverence is is as I'm communicating the gospel to people around me, as I'm sharing the good news, the truth about Jesus, as as I'm presenting this loving Savior, I should actually feel like Jesus is standing right next to me as I'm speaking about him. What does that message sound like? You know, have you ever seen kids' attitudes change when their parents enter the room? Or have you ever seen employees, how, how their work ethic changes when the boss steps into the room? I'm, that's reverence. And I'm telling you, when it comes to God and when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to this good news and us presenting a reason for the hope that we have inside of us, we need to do it with reverence. It's not just this, ah, oh, we can't water it down. We can't, we can't dilute it, but we shouldn't be adding to it either. Changing it manipulating it so that it might be palatable for them. We need to give it in its truth, its entire truth. You guys good? There's this encounter that happens with with Peter and and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. I was going to read it. I'm going to try to summarize it because I I really believe that the Lord wants to do some activation in our life tonight about reclaiming what's been lost. But this, this encounter between Cornelius and, and, and Peter, uh, this is early on in, in, in Peter's ministry. It's, it's, it's after uh, persecution had already be, um, come. It's after uh, Peter and John had already been arrested and told to never speak the name of Jesus again. And so Peter, um, well, first and foremost, an angel appears to Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Roman centurion. 
right? He's a Roman soldier, and he's a, he's, he's a man uh, of, of authority. He's a centurion, century. He's, he's at least a, a, a over 100 men. But he's a Roman soldier who has converted to Judaism. So this is a strange thing, right? So he's, he's a man of faith. He, he loves God. He loves Yahweh. And, and he's constantly in prayer, in connection with God. And he, he gives alms to, to, the, to the Jews around him. And so he's, he's a righteous man before God. The angel says this, your prayers have reached heaven. And your alms, God has seen what you have, what you have done. And he says, now send, dispatch some men. And go find Simon Peter. He's going to be over here in this place. Go find him. And have him brought back to you. He has a message for you. So God's ordaining this gospel encounter for Cornelius' life. Obviously, Cornelius has been in prayer. Obviously, somehow, Cornelius has, has cried out to God. Jesus has already ascended, but salvation has not come to him. And so while that's happening... We see that Peter's, in this other area, I think it's Joppa, I'm paraphrasing, I could read it, but for the sake of time, you guys can check it out. So Peter is praying. So Peter goes to be with God. And while he's with God, you guys know this story, he falls into a trance. So all of you guys who are spooked out about the weirdness, he falls into a trance. He's with God. He falls into a trance. And then you guys know this, this uh, portion of Scripture where the sheet falls from heaven, right? And on that sheet, it like lays down like a picnic before Peter. And there's all these creatures and animals crawling uh, on, this, on this sheet before Peter. And God says, kill and eat. And then old Peter kind of kicks in. He's like, no, God, it's not happening. I'm a Jew. <laughs> I don't eat that stuff. Kill and eat. No, God. It's not happening. Five times this takes place. Kill and eat. And at the end, at the end of this trance, he, he, he comes out of the sink and, he, and, he, and he's just a little jacked up in the head. I mean, if you've ever been laid out by God, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so he's kind of coming to, and then he starts hearing some things at the gate. <laughs> Simon Peter, who is it? There's some soldiers at the gate for you. Now, if you know anything about Peter, Peter and soldiers, this just didn't work out well. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like the culture, like, I mean, if cops show up here in, like, Denver, everyone's like, man, what happened? If cops show up in East L.A., it's kind of like, hey, what did you do? Right? There's, there's a difference. There's a difference. So for Peter, Peter is more like from East L.A. You know, he had to be from East L.A. He's the only one that had a blade on him, dude. Come on. <laughs> but listen. So the, these, these soldiers come in and they say, hey, Cornelius, centurion, he's calling for me and says, God says that you have a message for him. Somehow, supernaturally, God had been orchestrating things in the life of this unbeliever and in the life of this believer. 
and he wanted an encounter to take place. But there was something inside of Peter's life that needed to die. There was some religious baggage inside Peter's spiritual relationship with religion that had to die before he can have this encounter with a Roman Jewish convert. And I think sometimes in our life, the same thing needs to take place. There's religious baggage inside of us that needs to die in order for us to have the encounters that God wants us to have with the world around us. So here's some here point, points I want to I give us. If we're going to be effective in reclaiming the lost, we need to understand, number one, that this thing here is paternally provoked. Which means this thing is initiated by our Father. This is a God thing. This is not an optional thing. Somehow we've made evangelism an option. This is a God thing. And when God is provoking us, we need to respond in obedience. We've spoken about that. Because we love him. And because we want to see people free. We want to see the lost reclaimed, that which was stolen, given back to the Father. This is paternally provoked. It's God initiated. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes a harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. When this thing is God-provoked, there is no delay. And so many of us, we have this thing as I'm not ready or they're not ready. And Jesus was saying, it's all ready. Why are we waiting? What are we waiting for? We need to start listening to the Holy Spirit when it comes to encounters. John 6, 39 says this. This is the will of him who sent me. We want to know the will of God? Everyone has this question. I want to know the will of God for my life, right? People come up to me all the time and ask me, I just, I don't know the will of God for my life. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. The NLT says, not even one. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise up on the last day. That's the will of God, that not one should perish, that everyone that was given to God, that Jesus would not lose, not one. That's his will. So if that is his will, how does that will affect our life? We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. How has that invaded our life? This thing is God-provoked. Number two, people. People are the most precious commodity in the kingdom of God. When we think about buildings and, and the advancement of the kingdom and we think about nations, I hope we are seeing faces. I hope that we are talking about lives. We, we, we all say that numbers don't matter, but I am telling you numbers are lives and lives matter. It may not matter what's gathering in your building on a Sunday morning, 
Terry Kruger said in the church planting time that, that we had here, he's like, the, the number we should be aware of is this one. If people aren't being reached, then what are we doing? Why are we gathering? For the equipping of the saints, for the works of service. People are what matter to God, and not just your people, all people. Even those people groups that, that we struggle with, the skin colors we struggle with, the, the moral, immoral groups that we have labeled as, as outside of the gospel reach, those people, they matter to God. The most precious commodity in the kingdom of God. This, this Jewish Roman convert, God dropped a trance on Peter to get his attention to go find this guy because Cornelius was going to be used instrumentally into the Gentile realm in the advancement of the kingdom. We never know who we are going to encounter. And when we are disobeying God, well, I, let's not take their eternity into our hands. Let's obey and let God do his work. People, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Wasn't Jesus patient with you when you came to him? How patient was he with you? How long did it take for you to come to Jesus? When we're dealing with people, we have to understand this thing. When we're meeting with our family members who we have prayed for and cried for and given the gospel and they've rejected and rejected and rejected, we need to be patient. Just like he was patient with us. But listen to this. But his patience towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God will wait. Because he loves them that much. You with me? Second one, or the third one, sorry. Prayer is important. I think there's two things that we do with, with evangelism. We either under-spiritualize it or we over-spiritualize it. And what I mean by under-spiritualizing, we just think it's just, we just go out and it's kind of like, whatever, I'm telling you, there's divine appointments that God wants to create all the time. And so we actually need to be in prayer. It was in prayer that Peter got this trance dropped on him. It was in crying out in Cornelius' heart that God revealed himself to him and said, send for Peter. You'll receive the gospel through that. We read, when anyone who cries out will be saved. Cornelius was crying out and he sent a messenger and his name was Peter. Prayer is important, right? Prayer does this. It, 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 it kind of sensitizes us to the world around us, to what's happening. We're, we're in the face of God, and we get to hear and see and ask God to, to give us a divine appointment. Lord, ask me, tell me what to say. Give me your words. But so many times we're just caught off guard. We're not ready for it. But this is what prayer does for us. Peter had every reason to not go to Cornelius. I mean, in the flesh, yeah, I mean, I, if it was me, I would be like, I'm getting set up. Like, I don't know what's happening. This is, this is. But we actually, prayer changes our mindsets and it helps us to be aware of all that's around us. The early church prayed. 
They prayed. I mean, prayer is more, more prominent in Acts than any other book in the Bible because the early church was dependent on it. Are we praying? Are we praying? Are we praying privately? Are we praying corporately for our communities and the world around us? We need to pray. Number four is positioning, preparation, and prioritization. I put those together because it's all kind of this, this same thing. It's going off of what um, I felt Paul was saying is how are we cultivating an evangelistic lifestyle for ourselves? How are we preparing ourselves? How, what are we doing in our lives to, to, to be sensitive to the world around us? God has strategies, and he wants to use you. Look at your neighbor. Tell him God wants to use you. He is sovereign, and I'm telling you, if you choose not to, he will use someone else because he is God, and his mission will take place with or without us. But he wants to use you. And who better to reach your mother, your aunt, your cousin, your brother than you? When we disobey or when we allow our religion or prejudices to hinder, we are actively opposing the will of God. When we think that that people group or that whatever is outside the reach of the gospel, we are actually saying what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough for them. So in our preparation, preparing is one thing. Because this week we've been preparing. I forget who said it. Maybe it was Steve last night. It says, when Monday morning happens, it's going to be a whole new game. You know, we all have those mountaintop experiences, but when we come back down from the mountain, life hits us. So what's Monday going to look like? Preparing, this is, this is being equipped. But actually partnering and participating with the will of God is something completely different. And we have to choose to participate. We feel it all the time when, we're out the, when you're in line at Walmart and God's saying, say something. <laughs> and we, we're... <laughs> say it now. I mean, and you're there for a long time because those lines are doof. Say something. You have to choose to participate. Just open your mouth. Scripture tells us when we don't have the words, Holy Spirit will give us the words. Choose to participate. Number six is preferences. Your preferences have to die. Our will bows to the will of the king. Our rights, our privileges, our preferences. But Jesus, I don't prefer. We probably don't say it with our lips, but we, we feel it in our hearts. I don't prefer to have this conversation in this cab right now with this guy. Or on this plane. Like, I don't, I don't prefer. Reality check for us is as a man, Jesus didn't prefer to go to the cross. Lord, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not comfortable with having this conversation with this person in this place. 
I don't think the cross was a comfortable place for Jesus. I don't think the nails were comfortable. I don't think that crown of thorns, I don't think the pierced side was comfortable. Even worse, I don't think it was comfortable when for the first time in eternity, God the Father turned his face from his son. And he experienced that separation that some at the end of time will experience. It wasn't comfortable. Some of us say it's not how I'm built. <laughs> this evangelism thing, it's not for the evangelist. I was going to do something before, but I don't want to put anyone on blast in the room. But I was going to say, hey, all the evangelists, please stand up in the room. Who say evangelism, people just start quivering. We need to activate evangelists in the church today. We need fivefold ministry evangelists activated amongst us. We need people to go and take messages and be able to activate other evangelists in our ranks with amongst us. But even if that is not us, we are to do the works of an evangelist. That was Paul's encouragement to Timothy. This isn't optional. Being a witness is not optional. And lastly, here in John 10, it says, This thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they might have life and life abundantly. It's time for us to reclaim what was stolen because Jesus came to give life. Have you ever lost one of your kids? I remember one time in our church, we were doing this art show. Um, we, we invited all these community artists to come and display their art. It was, you know, amazing art that came, uh, paintings and just all this cool stuff. And then we had, you know, them do, um, you know, it was, it was cool. Um, and there was you know, hundreds of people in our building, and it was just, it was just t- tons of people. And at the end of this art show, like, everyone left and, and had, had and dispersed, and Vanessa and I were taking our kids a- across the uh, the parking lot to where we live, and we noticed that one of our kids was missing, and it, it was it was Zeke, um, and and, <laughs> and this wasn't one of those like Walmart lost your kids experiences. It was the entire church was locked up, doors were locked, lights were out, last cars had left, our kids missing, and losing a kid, you know. Some of us have experienced that. But my wife fell on the ground and just began to just wail. And the reason why is because we've had a kid stolen. When my oldest boy was 18 months, he was abducted by his biological father and flown across the country and had no idea where he was for six weeks. And if you've ever had a kid stolen, that does something different to your life. And I can't imagine what our Heavenly Father feels like to look down on this earth and seeing all that has been stolen from him. And you and I have every ability to participate in reclaiming all that has been stolen. 
because it's not his will that one should perish. Not one. You're like, but yeah, he's sovereign and he knows how many are going to make it. Not one. Not one. Will we be the reclaimers of what's been stolen? How will we choose to participate in making Jesus known on this earth so that once and for all, our bridegroom can come back and pick up his bride and you and I and all those who will believe will finally enter into the inheritance and the eternity that we've been promised since the beginning of time. Will we choose? Would you guys please stand with me tonight? Now, I know this is like one of those things, like, hey, uh, how many of you need to read your Bible more? Can you guys please raise your hand? <laughs> how many of you could evangelize more? I mean, yes. Yes. I'm not looking for an emotional response tonight, and God's not looking for an emotional response because I believe we're going to make choices here right now. But I believe, I believe our, our, our actual choice is really going to be made when we hit the ground on Monday in Placerville and Los Angeles and Upland and Chicago and Canada and South Africa and everywhere else. <laughs> That's when this decision is going to be made. That, that first portion of scripture I read in John chapter 17 was Jesus' prayer. It was him praying to the Father about this group of people who have become one with him, who are one with him like he and his Father were one. And I believe we, we've, we've attained, I mean, some of that, that, the ethos of that here in this week, and we're feeling this unity, and we're, we're, we're charged and ready to go. Will we take it? to those who are still yet to believe. Coworkers, family members. Just right now, you guys could just close your eyes and just lift your hands to the Lord. Ask the Lord for one face. Can you ask the Lord for one face? Just one face, one life, one. Lord, I want to be a witness. I want to be able to tell of your, your goodness. I want to tell this world what you have done for me. Jesus, you've saved me. You've healed me. You've delivered me. Your grace has been extended to me in a way that my life will never be the same. Lord, can I offer that, that deal to someone else? This face that you've shown me right now, Lord, this, my mother, Lord, my father, my cousin, my coworker. Lord, I don't want this to just be lip service anymore. 
Lord, I know my church is doing outreach and evangelism, but I want it to be true for me. I don't want it to be a theory. I want it to be a lifestyle. I love you enough to make you known to the world around me. You guys can just continue to pray. I'm sure God will just begin to unscroll a, an album full of faces. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed. Allow God to use you in any way, shape, or form that he can. Participate. Participate with the activity of heaven. Love you guys. Have a great night.